everyone and welcome back to another episode of Deets with Dita. I'm your host Nandita and today, well, it has been a while. It's been like maybe over a month <laughs> and I said I was going to go for only a one week break but then I decided a month? That sounds great, like why not? <laughs> and also the fact that I had to come back to this episode was not exactly the most enticing thing in the world um, when I get onto <laughs> what this episode is. Um, but yeah, I'm back and I'm ready to come at you with episode 49 of the podcast. Next week is 50. Wow, very strange. Um, and this week, if you haven't told, um, haven't found out from the title yet, it is going to be on the DCEU, even though it doesn't like being called the DCEU because Warner Bros just are particular. Um, so yes, the DC Extended Universe. Um, fun fact, did you know that DC stand for Detective Comics? I didn't know that until maybe less than a year ago. But yes, <laughs> this episode is going to be on basically majority of the DCEU films. Now, I have mentioned quite a few DCEU films in previous episodes. Q, the Wonder Woman 1984 episode, the verses of the Justice Leagues. So naturally, I'm not going to be talking about those films in this episode. And if you want to have like my hot take on all of those films, uh, go listen to those episodes because I talk about them in a lot more detail than I would in this episode anyway. But I am going to go through every, almost every single DCEU film. That includes Shazam, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Man of Steel, Batman vs Superman Dawn of Justice, Suicide Squad, THE Suicide Squad by James Gunn that just released in cinemas, and Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. <laughs> so um, those are all the films I'm going to cover. I want to do, um, I'm going to leave the Suicide Squad to the end because I know some people haven't seen it yet and I'm going, I want to talk spoilers about all of these films, so spoiler warning for like basically majority of the DCEU films um, in this episode, but I'll leave the Suicide Squad till the end just in case you guys haven't seen it and then you can come back to it a little bit later. But yeah, so I'm going to go with those and then I'm also going to talk about this release the blank cut culture which has stemmed from DC, Warner Bros. Yeah. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that culture because I feel like this is the perfect episode to talk about it considering people are like, release the Aya cut of um, the original Suicide Squad and then release the Snyder cut and the impacts of that kind of thing. And then what is actually happening in the future? Because there's a lot of, there is a lot of news that I'm hearing about the DC universe going forward and I don't know how to feel about it, so let's dissect it together. So without further ado, let's get into it. Okay, so what film do I talk about first? Shall I go chronologically? I mean, let's let's start with, with Man of Steel. So with Man of Steel, I remember watching this film in cinema when I was like super young, and um, I remember, all I remembered from this film was the really messy end fight scene, and like, um, General Sod and like green stuff and like mist and all that. Um, but that was my main takeaway of of Man of Steel when I was younger. But obviously now I've rewatched it, 
with a lot more attention to detail and I used to not like Henry Cavill. Don't come for me please. Um, but I used to when I was younger, I was like, I don't get all the hype around him being like, everyone being like, oh my god, he's like the best Superman, like, ah, he's incredible. And I just never got the hype for it. I was like, but really though, like, is he? I don't know. I don't know how to feel about him kind of thing. But then I, um, I, I kind of watched this film and I think I've grown a lot more of appreciation of him as Superman because I don't know, I don't think I could see anyone else pulling off that character anymore. Um, because I feel like he just embodies that. It's like kind of like the whole thing with like, I don't think I could see anyone else play like Steve Rogers, Captain America. Not to say Captain America because obviously um, Anthony Mackie is going to be like the new Captain America and whatnot, but in terms of like a Steve Rogers Captain America, I don't think I could see anyone else playing a Steve Rogers Captain America other than Chris Evans. Uh, so I feel that way with Henry Cavill now as well, so that's very, very interesting. Um, and yes, I did think he was very overrated, but Young Me was very, very wrong. We don't, we don't trust Young Me anymore. All of, all of Young Me's opinions out the window. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed a lot more of Superman's backstory in this film. So like, I enjoyed his, um, oh, like his childhood, his growing up upbringing, like discovering that he's like super gifted and like, you know, that whole bus incident. And then like slowly people kind of putting two and two together like quite a few years late, all things considered. And yeah, kind of just understanding he, this, yeah, he this dude's not normal, <laughs> like what, what is he doing? So I loved that side of it and that aspect of it. Like Kid Superman, I want to see more of that. I feel like I could have had a whole like kind of spin-off thing exploring like Kid Superman trying to figure out what what to do with with the abilities that he has kind of thing and the whole oh what's what's the what's his name what's the dad's name I don't even remember all I know is the mother's name is Martha I don't remember the guy's name anyway but the dad like and their relationship and their bonding before he eventually you know dies um so yeah I, I liked that aspect and I think you know it added a bit more humanity I guess to the film so yeah um now the second half of the film I felt was a lot weirder I don't know how to address my opinions on it because there was just a lot of destruction like it's too it felt too much at some points like it felt like so much was going on that you couldn't like my brain couldn't comprehend the amount of destruction that was going on at that specific moment um so uh, and General Zod, like, he wasn't, he falls into the classic trope that I feel like is so evident and prominent in, like, all forms of superhero films. Marvel is not discluded from this. Um, but it's the whole, like, oh yeah, he's the hero, but bad. So he has, like, the exact same abilities as the hero, but he's just bad. So, like, it's, it wasn't very interesting on that front. Nor was I really compelled about the whole, like, meh, Krypton, we need new Krypton kind of thing. And, like, one thing, though, that very much irritates me about Superman f things in general is that it feels like because his powers are so, like, intense, like, 
and he's kind of overpowered in many respects. It's like the events that happen to Earth or the battles that happen are so like destructive and the stakes are so high that like when you get into later films you kind of think, eh, you know, we've had high stakes like this before so I'm not really bothered <laughs> kind of thing. I, I don't know whether that makes sense but it feels to me that you kind of need to build up to it. For you to kind of feel for a superhero, you kind of need to feel like that they are vulnerable and not in the sense of kryptonite because I don't know, I feel like it could be, you could have more like struggling to deal with, I guess maybe that's why I really want to see like a child evolution growing up Superman kind of thing because coming to grips or to terms with like the power set that he has and then like having to deal with smaller scale things then building up to large scale thing would be more have more of a payoff instead of going straight into like yeah we're doing something to the earth's core <laughs> like what um that i didn't understand either but it is what it is it happened <laughs> but overall i loved it more than i thought i would i thought i was not going to enjoy it that much at all but it it was pleasantly surprising i will okay i feel like i feel like that's the a theme though with this episode because a lot of these films I walked in with very, very low expectations, like incredibly low, and then they're, 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 you can't help but have them be exceeded, you know what I mean? So yeah, really enjoyed everything that was going on. It was a lot of destruction, and maybe the villain payoff wasn't that particularly great, but I thoroughly enjoyed uh, Henry Cavill's um, Clark Kent, um, what's, what's his... What's his superhero name? Like, is it Carlisle? Carlisle? Carlisle. That's it. Carlisle. Um, yeah, I enjoyed that. I mean, Lois Lane was also pretty good. I mean, she wasn't, like, I preferred more of her roles in later Superman, like, appearances, like, in Justice League or in uh, Batman vs Superman. Like, I preferred what she was doing in those films as opposed to what she was doing in this film kind of thing but I love the whole like reporter like going to the snow and then discovering this like what this god <laughs> like kind of like what is this um but yeah great film surprised me in a lot of respect but yeah let's move on to a different one so let's move on to Aquaman so I have a lot of mixed feeling. Uh, this is this is going to be a trend for this episode if you can't tell. I have a lot of mixed feelings about Aquaman, but this one I can explain in a lot more detail than Man of Steel because I watched I first watched Aquaman, you know, when it first came out in cinema and like I rewatched it recently cuz it's on Netflix and there is a lot I can say about this. Like it sits very conflicted in my mind because there's part of me that's like there is a lot of film things in this film that are incredibly good but then there's also a lot of things in this film that are incredibly unforgivable so let's start off with some of the aspects I really loved so I like to compare Aquaman's style of story progression similar to Black Panther right so I think the whole outcast, well, not the whole outcast bit, but like the whole, 
You've got family conflict for the throne. You have to try and battle and fight for the throne. You've got a mysterious city that the rest of civilization is like not aware of. And, you know, all, all of that, like diff those different aspects and elements and stuff like that. Now, what I think Aquaman did better at than Black Panther was exploring the city of Atlantis itself. I appreciated that a lot of the scenes that happened within uh, Aquaman were very much underwater. I mean, you kind of expect it for a film called Aquaman, you know, but surprisingly, there was a lot of scenes um, in underwater and like, you know, the whole, like the Colosseum scene where they're like battling uh, for the first time and then like the whole like throne room where he initially gets like locked up and confronted and then like also the sea battles and like you know there was just a and then the different sea creatures too like it felt like you we were exploring a lot more of the I guess the depths <laughs> if excuse the pun of like this entire city of Atlantis kind of thing and for that I think it did a lot better job than something like Black Panther in which I left the film thinking it was a really great film, but one thing that I really would have loved more of in that film was just exploring Wakanda a little bit more. And I'm fairly confident that they will do more of that in the next one. But I think that I would have liked to see more of Wakanda, like the streets of Wakanda, you know, what, because essentially you're taking it from a royalty perspective right we're only looking at T'Challa and like his family and the royal family and stuff like that but then other than that we don't really see much of the just the, the citizens living and like how their lives are like and stuff like that so I, I would have liked to explore that more and I liked the how it felt a lot more like not by a lot but just enough more for me to be like seen quite a bit of Atlantis, I kind of like the look of it, even though it was, some of the end battle scenes were quite messy at times because of how many CG animals you have on screen, or sea creatures or whatnot, but I'm, I'm not complaining, I thought it was really cool, I liked the fact that we were getting to explore some of the Atlantean creatures, um, so yeah, and like the different, um, tribes I guess, or like different factions, kind of, of Atlantis, um, so yeah, I enjoyed that. I think the dialogue at times was incredibly questionable. Like, Jason Momoa, as much as I love him, I feel like he has this thing of, like, saying random one-liners at the most weirdest and awkward of times. Like, I remember in the Justice League trailer, he just went, my man, for, not, for, for no perfectly good reason at all. And yeah, I felt like a lot of this film was a lot of weird, forced, quippy remarks <laughs> at certain points, especially after rewatching it when you when you kind of feel like I've seen this before. Th these did not age well, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, th very questionable. Um, one thing I did keep track of, <laughs> which I didn't like at all, is that it felt like Michael Bay was directing this film at points. Why, I hear you ask? Well, <laughs> let me let me tell you because it felt like there was an explosion cutting off 
major conversations so many times in this film. Like, you know when you're like, two characters are in mid-conversation, but you want to add conflict, right? And you want to add like a, a jarring, like a spanner in the works or something like that, right? They did that by just having a random explosion, but they didn't do it once. Once is kind of like acceptable. It's like, okay, fine, you've used the thing, the trope of like having an explosion break off an important conversation. But they did it at least three times. I I counted. I was like, as, as soon as I saw it twice, I was like, okay, this this is this is not okay kind of thing. Um, so yeah, three times I counted at least it had been interrupted. There may be a more formal number, but at least three, which is... <laughs> um, Willem Dafoe, like, hello, he's incredible. I love Willem Dafoe. He's such a great actor. He was in it. He was good. His role was incredibly, I don't know, enjoyable to watch. Um, and although I did say that Jason Momoa was, like, making these weird quippy remarks and all that, but I do think he is a very, very good casting for Aquaman, so very happy about that. And overall, it was just kind of like an okay film. Like, I don't think I could go back and rewatch this now for quite a while, but it's still pretty good. Like, I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable with, you know, um, it, it not having to see this again, but also kind of being like, I can appreciate this film for some of the aspects that it is. Um, one thing I will say, what was that? Was it Black Manta? Um, who was in this film, and, like, why was he there for, like, majority of the time? I feel like he was only there to set up the next film. And if he's not in this next film with, oh, what's his name? Oh, no, the guy from, <laughs> the guy from WandaVision, but also Parks and, no, not Parks and Rec, that one episode of The Office, I do Randall Park, yeah, Randall Park. Um, if they don't appear in the next film, I'll be very sad because they spent all this time setting up Black Mamba's character and like he was very not powered at all so I really really hope that in the next film they give him more of a useful role because this one just felt very lackluster he was just there for the point the sake of being there to set up future film kind of thing and that's not what you want you want to do it so that it seamlessly kind of segues in not feeling forced so yeah, that's another qualm that I have about this film. Um, but yeah, as I said, overall, I think Aquaman is an incredibly interesting film, to say the least. And I use interesting in all aspects of the adjective. Um, but I am excited to kind of see a second one. And considering that, you know, we've seen now Aquaman in Justice League, we're kind of getting, you know, an insight into his character and who he is, like his type of personality, how he would play with others kind of thing. And I'd just be curious to see what the what the actual conflict would be in Aquaman 2, because we are getting an Aquaman 2. I believe it's already, I don't know whether it's in production, it's definitely being written at the moment, at least. And I would be curious to see, I guess, what where he would go from there, like, would the film be set pre or post Justice League? Because by then people would know who the Aquaman is and they'd kind of come to terms being accepting of him kind of thing instead of being more like, who is this Aquaman? We need to, like, he needs to go. We don't know his intentions. But obviously after saving 
a lot of, like, <laughs> basically the world, um, you'd kind of want to say, yeah, uh, you're good, you'd, it, we're, we're good, we're fine, no qualms anymore. Um, but we'll see how it goes. I mean, I'm curious, very, very curious. So moving on from Aquaman, let's talk about Wonder Woman. Now, a lot of you are probably like, phew, finally a good DCEU film that Nandita will give some positive opinions about. I'm really sorry. Like, I'm really sorry to those of you who are thinking that right now because I didn't like Wonder Woman. I'm really sorry. Um, okay. Don't get me wrong, I love the idea of Wonder Woman. I love the idea of a first female, like, led... Because it was, wasn't it? Because Captain Marvel came out after this one. So this was a first, like, empowering female superhero film. Like, if we don't count, like, Catwoman or anything like that. But we've got one, finally. And, um... I love the idea of it, you know? And... We finally get a female superhero film where it's not overly sexualized in the slightest, which is really good. I love that aspect of, of Wonder Woman. Yet, we have the entire storyline, well, majority of the storyline, centered around her growth around a man. You know, it, it's like her, like, her character growth was literally centered around, what's his name? Steve Trevor, like, for, for what reason? For, like, the promise of, now think about it like this, you've got a lot of expectation to live up to when you say, yes, we're giving a female, first female superhero film in a long time where we're gonna try and break a lot of the stigmas and stereotypes surrounding a female-led superhero film. So I was like, okay, this is really good. I'm really excited for this. Wonder Woman is such an incredibly, you know, badass character. So I think that like the fact that we were getting a film about her speaked a lot of and like spoke a lot of volume and um you know to try and make some ground in the superhero genre to make it less um, male centric. So here comes Patty Jenkins with Wonder Woman. Now don't get me wrong it's much, much better than Wonder Woman 1984. If you want to hear my review of Wonder Woman 1984, I think it's the first film that I, first podcast episode that I did of this year. So definitely check that out. Um, but I will say, however, saying that it's better than Wonder Woman 1984 is not exactly saying much because that's a terrible film. The bar is set incredibly low. Like a lot of things could beat it. Um, so, yeah, I think the best way to present female empowerment in films is not to make a story about a female constantly being looked down upon, which is a problem that I have with a lot of media that's kind of like presented these days. It's like, we get it. Women are not exactly like in, in terms of like male and then female, like, you know, we know that we have been slightly marginalized, you know, and like, we don't need that slapped in our face like every two seconds. We just want a film where we can relate to a female character being strong, independent, and not having, you know, to be, I guess, her story, 
be centered around a male or have important things happen in her life be because of a male or just have rom-com films about females like just give us give us more things like that are just not are not incredibly stereotyped like that's all I ask for and that's not a lot that I'm asking for but yeah we seem to just not be getting there and when I look at Wonder Woman I think the best thing that this film could have done was not have a love interest to not have a Steve Trevor and then the story would have been a lot more powerful like if you look at something like Captain Marvel and I know people have a lot of uh, I have a lot of mixed opinions about Captain Marvel, right? I like to think of that film... I, I like to think of Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman. If you took, I guess, the, the non-Steve Trevor elements of Wonder Woman, and then you took the empowering nature that Captain Marvel kind of alluded in her film, and mushed them together, I think you could have been on for like a winner of a of a first uh, female superhero film coming out of your studio kind of thing. So yeah, it was it was incredibly incredibly disappointing that neither of those films kind of lived up to the expectations that a lot of people had for them. So yeah. What I will say though is that I did enjoy the action sequences of this film. Like I loved the whole lasso of truth, like in her action sequences with that. I loved, you know, the the whole like with her what is it, the wristbands I wanna say? Like those are really cool and like her like I guess skimming the bullets off of off of her, her wristband, like very cool. Um and yeah, I love I loved a lot of the action sequences. I did not like the villain. Kind of underwhelming. Um, what was it? It was like the God of War, wasn't it? Yeah. And it felt, yeah, it felt very, very underwhelming, that aspect of it. But, and I did enjoy, another thing that I did enjoy about this film was the young Diana Prince action, like, on, on her, um, her island that she grew up on. Like, yeah, I really enjoyed those aspects a lot. Because again, I like I like to see the progression of a character. I don't like to just jump in and be like, why am I exactly meant to care about you? Kind of. So did enjoy that for sure. But overall, I just think both Wonder Woman films really fall short for me. This one less so than number two, but <laughs> yeah, like that's not to say I don't think Gal Gadot is a good Wonder Woman, you know? Like I feel like she she embodies the Wonder Woman, like, persona pretty well. And, like, I know that for a fact because I loved some of, like, the the Wonder Woman action that we got in Batman vs Superman and in the Justice League, the Zack Snyder one, not the Joss Whedon one, because that was over-sexualization of her character. But no, the Zack Snyder one really, really enjoyed her portrayal in that one, and then obviously in Batman vs Superman, but in her own film, <laughs> this is a different story. Um, and it was very interesting because a lot of people gave Patty Jenkins a lot of praise for, and that's not to say I don't think she deserves it, like she did do a really good job at the task of helming a 
you know, if a first female superhero film that we've seen in an incredibly long time, and I think she handled it with poise, but a lot of people gave Wonder Woman a lot of, like, wow, this was really good, like the first one. But then if you look at the writing credits for, for, um, for Wonder Woman, you can see that Zack Snyder is, has writing credits on Wonder Woman. It makes me think, Zack Snyder's mind, like, I think he's incredibly, he's very well suited to the DCEU. I can't say that he's incredibly suited to some of the other stuff that I've seen him do, uh, Cough Cough Army of the Dead, but I do think the DCEU is very, is, is made for him, it's like his calling. Um, so I can understand why, you know, there are certain aspects of Wonder Woman that did incredibly well. But then you look at Wonder Woman 1984, I don't know whether I mentioned that in this episode, but like, Zack Snyder I don't believe has any writing credits on that film, it's just Patty Jenkins. And then the, the whole, I guess, idea of, of Diana Prince and like, you know, again being, the film being centred around a man yet again, and it is the same man, for God's sake, why? Um, and like, it's just, it just, it makes me kind of like interested, because writers are incredibly important, as much as directors are like super cool, I think writers are incredibly underrated, because, you know, I prefer Zack Snyder's writing of Wonder Woman than I do of Patty Jenkins, it feels like because definitely didn't like Wonder Woman 1984 and Hattie Jenkins was heavily involved in the writing process for that one. So, I don't know, it's a, it's a weird thing, you know? You, I guess people have to pay more attention to the writers in films. I know I will from now on, but yeah, I think I want to do an episode on that. Let me know if you guys would be interested in me kind of talking about the differences between, you know, being a director and being a writer and like, you know, some of the most notable mistakes in that sense, but let me know if that's something you'd be interested in. I don't know, it seems cool. Uh, but overall, Wonder Woman, it was, it was fine. It was, it was fine. A lot of these films are fine. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> why did I do the DCU again? Oh yeah, Suicide Squad, that's it. <laughs> um, okay, speaking of, uh, actually no, let's not talk about the Suicide Squad yet. Um, let's actually talk about Batman vs Superman, considering I did mention that I thought that Wonder Woman was a lot, well, a, a little bit better written in, um, Batman vs Superman than I did in Wonder Woman. Now, I liked the Wonder Woman reveal, I liked the fact that this is the first time we actually saw her in the DCEU, and it set a strong precedence of, like, she is incredibly strong, she's incredibly independent, <laughs> these are all ticking points in my brain, and she's like, she's very self-sufficient in the way that even in the final battle of the film where they were going against uh, that monster, I don't know what it's called, but it was a monster, uh, it's always a monster, isn't it, alien thing, um, but yeah, going against that thing, like, it, the the whole conversation between Superman being like, I thought she was with you, or like, if it, even though it might be kind of cringe, it felt cool to me, because it, it kind of said to me, hey, this woman's just come out of nowhere, and she's just doing her thing, because she just wants to protect the planet, she doesn't know you, nor does she know, she doesn't know Batman, nor does she know Superman, but she just wants 
things to be settled for the greater good because she knows that she has the ability to help do that. Um, which is very badass in itself. She's kind of like, I'm not getting involved with your like your petty squabbles. I'm just going to go and do, you know, what I do best. And that's like just, you know, destroying monsters. Good for her. Good for her, honestly. Um, and I liked that whole mature persona. Very like, very, what's the word? Secure of herself, you know, and not having to rely on Steve Trevor. Can you tell I'm really mad about it? Yeah, it's just, it hurts a little bit too much. But yeah. So the Wonder Woman reveal was really good in Batman vs Superman, like I think she was one of the saving graces in this film, like truly, really, really good, loved it. I actually really loved the beginning of Batman vs Superman, like a lot of people have a lot of hatred to this film, and a lot of passionate hatred to this film, and fine, valid, I can understand where you're coming from, but I'm a big fan of Batflex, so like Ben Affleck's Batman, um, so I really enjoyed like, his POV, or point of view, whatever, of the events that happened in Man of Steel, right? Having watched Man of Steel and then watching straight, like, straight away after that, watching Batman vs Superman, it was really cool to see that, you know? It was cool to see this whole, um, uh, like, this, you know, Batman, why he has developed this hatred to, towards Superman, and, like, you know, the rage is really there because you can tell, like, his city that he loves is being destroyed and that's his whole thing. His whole thing is that he wants to keep Gotham safe, you know? And, like, his whole city is being destroyed by this really weird flying dude with laser eyes and, like, has no regard for, like, any kind of destruction that happens. Like, that was one thing that really bugged me about Man of Steel is that man didn't care, like, at all. Like, he really, really didn't care about anything that was going on destruction wise which was kind of like eh. but you know <laughs> you know that's where we get the repercussions in this where batman's like yo you destroyed my building a lot of my workers i saw firsthand having to suffer kind of thing and that's his that's his driving force of his hatred kind of thing and i really enjoyed that and then i loved the whole superman being like kind of having this driving hatred to, like the tension between them like the the scene where they go to Lex Luthor's party I think is probably one of my favorite interactions between the two where it's like you know Clark Kent meets uh Bruce Wayne both in their like uh, secret identities kind of standoffish to each other kind of don't like the other person without knowing that it is like without at that moment fully connecting the dots that that person is Superman or that person is Batman. Like I thought that was really cool. And then you go to the rest of the film and then you're like, yeah, they're gonna stop fighting because both their moms are called Martha. <laughs> Why? It's like, there was a lot of, I personally believe there was a lot of promise to Batman versus Superman, like a lot. Like you can tell that there are glimmers of hope. If you look hard enough, there are glimmers of hope in this film. Uh, so I don't, like the people who argue too heavily that this film was like completely and utter garbage because I beg to differ there were some hidden gems of moments in this film but it just all went downhill from 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 there you know like the whole even their first confrontation as Batman and Superman felt well their first confrontation was their only confrontation right 
Yeah, it was. They only had like one proper confrontation. And then after that, like, cause it was a very long confrontation. And after that, it was the whole Martha thing. And then there was like a, a, a monster that they had to fight now. And then, oh look, there's Wonder Woman. And yeah, it was just, it was, it felt too much. And even Lex Luthor as well, like, as much as I love the concept of Lex Luthor, he just felt, like, too, he felt too much, you know? Like, I, he's better than Jared Leto's, um, Joker, but, like, also, again, that's not saying much, and I think Lex Luthor, it felt like he was trying too hard sometimes, but I don't know, I feel like that might be just Lex Luthor's character in the comics as well, so... I don't know. I wasn't a I wasn't a big big fan of like some of some of his personality traits and the way that he was saying things and like monologuing constantly about just basically rambling, basically doing what I do on this podcast, just rambling for a really long time, trying to bring something cohesive enough that that it sticks and it's like yeah that sort of makes sense. I'll go with that kind of thing. That's how I felt like Lex Luthor was. So was not a big fan of it. Like, and again, what was the big villain guy? Like, I don't, I don't even remember his name. Like, he was just there because, you know, you needed some sort of conflict to unite the two polarizing opinions together. And for that, what, we lost Superman. Okay, wow, that was, you know, it's just, there's a lot of potential for the DCEU. And I feel like they're just wasting all their big ambitious ideas too soon. Like, why not build up more to a Batman vs Superman? Like, make Batflick Batman films! And then make more Superman films! And then build up to the conflict between Batman vs Superman, you know? We had got no, like, Ben Affleck films. We had one Superman film. And then you're like, yeah, we're gonna make a Civil War-esque type film. Realistically, for a franchise film, you need that build-up of, like, tension and these build-ups of characters for you to feel like you care for them. And then with that, craftsmanship becomes comes more of the, like, the confrontation scenes in, in Lex Luthor's party and less of the Martha, you know? Like, easily they could have picked any any other way to resolve the conflict other than Martha. Like, you could have spoken about the fact that you know, there was an inkling of a, like, a greater good that they needed to achieve. Like, Superman could just go, because Superman's the type of guy to just monologue and be like, I'm gonna give a big speech about righteousness kind of thing. And Batman will kind of just give in because he wants to protect his city. Then they still kind of have this, like, standoffish nature, wants the job's done kind of thing. And they're like, hmm. But then there's, like, a mutual handshake of, like, you weren't that bad, you know, you're like, we, we can work together maybe, kind of thing, you know? That would have had a, a greater payoff to me instead of, you know, killing Superman and having the only reason why they come together be Martha and the only reason why Lois Lane is important in this film, <laughs> kind of, um, because she was like, that's his mom's name. Um, but yeah. That's that's how I feel. That's how I feel about this. Though I did love the whole like is the world turning against Superman kind of thing. That whole aspect is good. I feel like the first half of Batman vs Superman is a lot better than the second half. I feel like that's that's the problem with a lot of DC films though. The first half really hooks you and then the second they don't know how to finish films. They don't know how to do a, a third act. 
you know, like, ah, it's actually tragic. But that's my opinion on Batman vs Superman Dawn of Justice. Overall, I feel like I could I could have done a better job, maybe. I kind of like the way that I was going kind of with, you know, stopping for the greater good kind of thing um, and, and doing, like, solving a conflict together rather than because then super because superman knows information about lex than that batman doesn't know so this exchange of information can be like and then it can be like a batman being like i don't trust you why should i believe a word that you say and then it's like they've got someone that like you know i'm i'm not doing this because like it, there could be just an encounter and there could be some some incredible monologuing dialogue between the two because both are very intellectually powerful characters in terms of like their beliefs and their morals and I don't know it just could have been so much better <laughs> and I don't even know that much about DC I'm like not a big DC comic fan but I feel like I could just imagine the intellectual battle between those two in like a monologue off have that be the final conflict it'd be better than anything else we saw in that film um but yeah, that's how I feel about Batman vs Superman Dawn of Justice. I think it's, eh, fine, <laughs> you know, it's fine, everything's fine. I'm not losing, I'm not losing my mind, no, what are you talking about? Um, let's move on to, actually, one of my stronger, like, favourites of, of the, of all of the films that I'm going to be talking about. This one's probably sits pretty strong up there with, like, hey, I actually really like this film. Um, and that is Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. <laughs> I, firstly, I love the title, it's incredible. I watched, I rewatched this today, as of like recording this. I rewatched this today, and I don't think I was paying attention as much the first time that I watched it than I did the second, but my gosh, I think the reason why I love this film so much is because it shows, it's, this film is essentially narrated from all and like filmed from the perspective of what Harley Quinn sees all of the events that is going on in her mind kind of thing and I absolutely love that because if you take a character like Harley Quinn who is meant to be like insane essentially and then you tell the story through her point of view it's going to be a very jagged biased point of view and then like you can see that very and like you can see the fact that like oh yeah she's she's just telling us about this scene that's going on she's like wait no you you need more context for this wait let's just go back to this and then you'll figure out like why why I was here because I didn't explain that well and I like that it was like it was pure like Harley Quinn playful emotion and I loved it and I love the fact that she you know cut ties from the Joker and a lot of people have like a lot of problems with this film like you know to the soundtrack but I feel like the soundtrack works if you compare the soundtrack of Suicide Squad, the David Ayer one, th the reason why the soundtrack for that one didn't work, because it was very heavily like, you know, pop songs or like radio music in the film, but I feel like the radio music in Birds of Prey makes sense, because once again we're hearing it from the point of view of Harley Quinn's mind, and of course she's going to have pop culture references and, and cool songs in there rather than just instrumentals all the time, you know what I mean? like, or scores all the time, you know? I think it works because it's her. It works because Margot Robbie can pull off Harley Quinn, you know? There's a lot of factors about this film that just work for me. And 
yeah, going back to the point, going back to Margot Robbie, she was incredible in this film. Like, I loved the, you know, as I said before, like, the cutting ties of of the Joker and trying to set off in life and, you know, having to deal with the fact that she doesn't have that, like, immunity anymore and she has to go out and make a name for herself rather than just being attached to the Joker, which is a difficult thing for her to try and do considering how incredibly toxically close their relationship was like to make that big of a step is like whoa so to see her do that in this film is a very interesting approach to take for a harley quinn i guess film even though this was kind of birds of prey it is more of a harley quinn film let's be real she kind of steals every film that she's in though let's be honest um but yeah i loved you i forget you and mcgregor was in this film like i saw his first and i was like oh Oh, it's you! And, like, I I liked his whole, like, he was giving me Joker, but, like, Godfather vibes. Like, he was like, I am going to be a slightly on-the-edge crazy Godfather gangster mob boss kind of figure. And that's the vibe I got from him. And I think he can do that very well. I have to say, he did, he did a pretty good job. I, enjoy, I thoroughly enjoyed all of the scenes that he was in. He was very twisted and dark and like but he hid that behind a lot of humor which was really good but not in a way that you would actually laugh at it like because you know with the whole sorry for the explicity but cutting off like the people's faces like he's just so nonchalant about it and makes makes light of it in certain scenes and like you know he finds it hilarious and he adds that humor to it but you as the audience is like more of like a shock kind of humor it's like oh, he's actually, like, not okay. Like, he he's not not stable at all kind of thing. So I did enjoy that aspect of his character. It was really cool. Um, I'm super excited because Black Canary, who was in this film, the one who was, like, the singer at Ian McGregor's nightclub, um, yeah, she's going to be in her own film? is it DC series? One of the two. She's getting either either a film or a DC series, which I'm super stoked about. I think the director is going to be the same director of Candyman and Captain Marvel 2. So that's pretty cool. The new Candyman, not the old Candyman. I think her name is Nia um, DaCosta, I think. I want to say that's her name. But yeah, I'm I'm super stoked to see some stuff from her because you know she's doing the next Captain Marvel film, so I have <laughs> I have high hopes for that. Um, so yeah, I loved as I as I mentioned before the jumping of plot, so like going from this point in time to the next point to like all over the place, kind of just meshing together was really good, and the music fit really well with that. And the last thing I guess I have to say about this film was that poor egg sandwich. I, there is not a cinematic scene that I relate to more than that egg sandwich scene. Like, you know when you just really want that one piece of food, right? It's just, you really want it and you're like, you see it being made and you're like, oh my god, I cannot wait to just eat this entire thing and like thoroughly enjoy it and then have it fall on the floor in such a dramatic sad vengeful way it's just like yeah it's very it's very yeah honestly oh dear but overall I think it's an incredibly fun and light-hearted film and actually I'll give my ranking of the entire DCEU after I've talked about all of them but yeah 
it was truly a good one. A good one. It's, it's one of the one of my top three, I think I would say. Yeah, for sure. So let's move on to the final one before we compare the two Suicide Squads, because I wanted to leave the two Suicide Squads till the end so I can compare the two. Even though, as I will get on to, I'm not sure whether it's correct to be comparing the two, all things considered. So let's talk about Shazam! Okay. I, rem I vividly remember watching Shazam. Shazam? Shazam! And I walked out of the cinema like... I hate this. Like, what is this film? I don't like this. I want, I just, I want this men in black mind wiped from my brain. But then I watched it again and surprisingly, it was pretty good. Like, I enjoyed the whole, it was, it was a lot more heartwarming and it comes back to, I think a, re a really prominent reoccurring theme in this, in this episode is that you know, the the whole youthful, like, dealing with superpowers when you're a child thing. Like, and this film was basically, like, the whole film was dealing with superpowers as a child, but then also the child turns into a, an adult when when they can do the the, the superpower things. But yeah, like, I I just think it was really heartwarming because you saw this whole, like, child struggle coming of age trying to come to terms with like being an orphan but also like you know also trying to figure out like his identity I guess because he's trying to figure out where he fits in as part of a family and going from different foster homes to trying to figure out who where his actual family is now um it's it's all very it's it's all very grounded, surprisingly, for for a superhero film where Shazam is quite again OP. This this is a problem that DC has, other than other than Batman. A lot of their superheroes are very overpowered, and it's slightly infuriating. Um, but yeah, the best way I could describe it is like Big, the film Big, meets Superman. <laughs> like I think that's the best way to describe it. Like child stuck in old person well, like an adult's body but but with superheroes like that's that's the best way I could I could probably um yeah I could probably buy that <laughs> um I enjoyed so this is spoilers but then again everything that I've been saying up until this point is spoilers I enjoyed this film a lot until the end where it kind of became the Power Rangers <laughs> like with each of the children from the orphanage getting a different coloured Shazam suit felt very and then they were sharing the power like it felt very Power Rangers and I um, uncomfortable to, to, to think about that um so yeah I did <laughs> it was that bit was not my cup of tea the villain however was not too bad like I liked the whole fact that they were going along the lines of like the seven deadly sins that was really good I would have liked but then again, if you want to market your film for like, I guess a 12A in the UK or like a whatever, PG-13 in America, but if you want to market it to that audience, you can't have, I guess, too disturbing looking Seven Deadly Sins, because I would have loved, you know, some more creepiness from them. Because when I think Seven Deadly Things, I think, ew, this is creepy, and I would have wanted more like stuff from them or like evil sinister things being done from them like because I loved 
some of the the, the scene where he, um, the main villain goes into the boardroom of his father's company, I think, and does the whole like that scene. It was really good, like with the seven deadly sins. Like really enjoyed that. So I've loved more of that, but unfortunately for a kids film. It would not have worked, so I completely understand that. It was very family and child oriented, so like I loved the whole scenes in the orphanage. Um, I liked actually the the other orphan kids. They were really really cool. Like in the within the foster family, like I liked all of the kids in the foster family and their um, their individual personalities. You know, Darla with her like. <laughs> like mildly irritating young sister vibes to like the older teenage girl who was like about to go off to university kind of thing like it was a, it was a great range and great mix of like all these different age groups age groups kind of coming together um which is why it worked i think in its favor because you're just exploring their relationships together and trying to figure figure themselves out um one thing i will say is that I do worry that in the future, when we have future villains um, in a Shazam film, it's gonna get to a point where Shazam is pretty, as I said, pretty OP. Like I did compare him to Superman for a reason. Like he's very overpowered to the point where what villains can you have match him kind of thing? Like it's difficult. And this is a problem that DC has a lot is that you pick a character or you make characters or films about characters who are really, really, really strong. Wonder Woman is really strong. Superman is really strong. Shazam is really strong. So how do you have a villain kind of match up to that or be even more overpowered than them kind of thing? And then it becomes kind of a cycle and spinning of just, oh. Is it getting too crazy? Is it getting too extreme? But you know, that's the DCU for you. Um, so yeah, overall, I did really love Shazam. I think it was incredibly more touching and again, one of probably my f uh, more favored DCEU films. So yeah. If you haven't as well checked out a lot of these films, firstly, what are you doing? There's a lot of spoilers <laughs> in this episode, but definitely do watch all of these like I know I've like slated quite a few of them but it's always good to form your own opinions on these kind of things so definitely check out you know Shazam, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Man of Steel, <laughs> Batman vs Superman, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Yes all of these. Um, a majority of them actually are on Prime and Netflix UK one at the moment so definitely yeah, do check them out. So with that being said, I guess it is time to talk about the Suicide Squads, you know, so the eye cut versus the gun cut kind of thing. And let's just dive into that in a little bit more detail. So Suicide Squads, I think I'll talk about the air cut first, considering it was the first one that did come out. So I think it's best to start there and then compare well, then to talk about the James Gunn one. So a lot of this film felt really disconnected and disjointed in a lot of respects. Like, um, for example, right, like in my notes, I literally wrote what, because I, I don't understand how to articulate stuff about this film, but I'm going to try anyway. So 
the soundtrack. And I think a lot of the things that I disliked about this film, and I, the reason why it's a what as well, is because a lot of things in this film I didn't like were a lot of things that Ayan didn't ne Aya didn't necessarily want in the film. So it kind of it's kind of interesting to think about it in in that kind of light. So <laughs> with that being said, you know the whole soundtrack of this film being super heavy pop-centric kind of like mainstream music didn't feel right and didn't fit right with the vibes of this film and knowing that Aya didn't want um, you know that kind of vibe and he wanted more like score pieces dramatic kind of feeling rather than like actual songs um, makes sense because I think that would have worked a lot better than than the whole mainstream era music kind of thing um, but I feel like that was a Warner Bros kind of saying well no have you seen like um, some of the films that Marvel have been making add some mainstream songs in there and it should work kind of thing for an ensemble film about misfits. Um, yeah, because if you think about it, heavily comparing Suicide Squad and Guardians, a group of misfit criminals who are coming together to do some good in slightly different contexts, like one is being governmentally forced to and one is like they were just all together at the wrong place at the wrong time, leading them to a right path kind of thing. So yeah, um, a lot of similarities, which is interesting as to why James Gunn jumped on the project. Like I'm not surprised he would jump on for a Suicide Squad film. Um, Margot Robbie was one of the saving graces of this film because she can act the heck out of being like um, Harley Quinn. Like she is the perfect, Harlequin, Har Harley Quinzel? Harleen Quinzel, that's it. She's like perfect. And um, of course, like her added personality, like it's bad, we're bad guys, that's what we do. Like the whole, like her lines are more iconic and I remember a lot more of her lines than let's say um, whatever Will Smith's character was called or, you know, the uh, Viola Davis's character or what other thing? There was a lizard man, there was a fire dude, there was a lot of expendable characters and a lot of them didn't feel expendable because they all just ended up surviving, <laughs> which was most of most of the main ones ended up surviving, which didn't feel very expendable considering the Suicide Squad is very much like, yeah, we don't care if you die, like we could not care less whether you lived or died kind of thing. So yeah, it was mildly infuriating. Um, the, the stakes weren't what I thought they were going to be. Um, yeah. I, I did like also the whole fact that like Batman and like the Flash kind of recruiting these Suicide Squad uh, members and like taking them in and that's how they captured, they got captured and like stuff like that. Like you know with the Flash with the whole like robbery scene for Captain Boomerang I think and then also um, Batman getting Will Smith's character. Yes, like all of that I really enjoy. It's kind of like a recruitment for criminals. Like, yeah, we're gonna imprison you, but you're also kind of recruited by Batman and the Flash. Very strange, but I liked that whole absurdity about that. Um, the plot was bad. Like, realistically speaking, the plot was incredibly bad. Like, Clara Delevingne, I love you, but like, what was, what was your performance as Enchantress? Like, I d I didn't buy it, I didn't feel compelled by it, I didn't, there was a lot of things I just didn't feel, didn't feel like it grabbed me enough or it, it gave me enough to be like, yeah, this was great. 
Um, so yeah, plot not entirely incredible. Um, what else to say? What else to say? Um, one thing I did really like is the whole factor that at the end credits of the Suicide Squad they tried to set up Suicide Squad versus Justice League and I feel like if these films were more successful than they actually were we could have seen something like the Suicide Squad versus the Justice League and that would be kind of like the Marvel equivalent of the Avengers versus the X-Men which is I really want to see that on screen so the Justice League and the Suicide Squad like battling it out together sounds like an incredible idea for a film. Warner Bros please take notes I'm saying a lot of good ideas here like take them please you need all the help that you can get at this point um but other than that I really don't know what else to say like I just think that this wasn't the film that was intended to be put out um and you can tell you can tell because of how it just doesn't feel connected it feels like someone was like we need to slap a corporate sticker on this and we need to make it good for all the stakeholders at, the, at this production company so yeah slap slap on the seal of approval sticker after like heavy heavy cuts um and the and thus Suicide Squad was born um but then again Warner Bros are not shy about that considering they did Justice League and it did the exact same thing so um yeah that is how I feel about David Ayer's Suicide Squad though I, once again I feel like it could have had so much more potential but for me this is like a really low ranking one because it, I it took me five sittings to finish this film. It was the first film that I initially started for this um, podcast episode and you can now understand why it took me so long to try and get through all the other ones because I didn't finish this one until actually I finished all of... So I started on it, got 30 minutes through and then I started watching Shazam, Aquaman, all the other ones and then I finished this one like second to last. <laughs> that's how difficult it was to get through that film um unfortunately and it is unfortunate for David Ayer considering that he he wanted his vision to be put forward but time and time again a lot of these a lot of these big production companies just say no we don't care which is um you should have trust in your filmmakers if you pay them to do a job let them do it and have faith in them you know that's why you hired them but anyway, um, that's how I feel about Suicide Squad. Let's move on to The Suicide Squad, directed by James Gunn. So familiar, um, I guess comic book nerds would be familiar with the name James Gunn because he is very famous for doing the Guardians of the Galaxy films, Guardians 1, 2, and now 3 that is to be in production. And he's wrote, he's basically written all of the Guardians' dialogues within Avengers Infinity War and Endgame and stuff like that. Like, he is very heavily involved with those characters, which is really cool. Um, so he came in and he added his James Gunn touch to everything. And I have to say, this is probably my favourite DCEU film thus far. Um, and there is a lot of reasons for that. Firstly, you took the idea of these characters are expendable and actually ran with it incredibly well. By the way, this is major spoilers, like, if you have not seen The Suicide Squad, or if, like, if you don't mind it being spoiled, like, go ahead, but, like, listen at your own risk kind of thing. If you haven't seen it yet, definitely watch it, then come back to this, or, I don't know, or do what you want. I can't manage what you do. Listen, don't listen to it, it's okay. Um, 
But the reason why I think this was worked a lot better is because they made it out that these characters are going to be very expendable from within the first 15 minutes of this film. Like with the whole slaughtering on the beach. Like wow, I was incredibly shocked. The people behind me in the cinema were very vocal about their shock. I had to shoot them a few looks. Like, what are you doing? Be quiet. Um, but yeah, it was it was incredibly like um, it was good that that they took the idea of the Suicide Squad being expendable villains that the government don't care if they die or not kind of thing, or Viola Davis doesn't care if they die or not kind of thing, and making her more ruthless in this film rather than compassionate such a good move because I just thought she was incredible as more of a ruthless like we've seen Viola Davis in some more ruthless roles like in How to Get Away with Murder like she's pretty pretty ruthless in that like adding that element into this Suicide Squad film worked perfectly because she's just like I don't care just do the thing that you need to do and if you don't do it you're gone kind of thing so yeah I, def I definitely love that um what else some of my favorite characters in this were King Shark, like my my poor my poor baby, you know, feeling left out constantly because man's a shark, <laughs> like and wanting to just eat people and live his life, and just wanting companionship and friendship. It's just too, too cute, honestly. <laughs> I'm calling a shark cute, played by Sylvester Stallone. I don't know how to feel about that, um, but yes, I loved King Shark. Ratcatcher 2, not to be confused with Ratcatcher 1, played by the incredible Taika Waititi in this film, which, oh, such a great cameo. Um, but yeah, Ratcatcher 2 was um, incredibly relatable. Like, she just wants to sleep all day and has a pet rat called Sebastian. Why not? Like, yeah, what, let's just vibe with that idea for a bit. Um, uh, the team, like, the actual team of... Um, the Suicide Squad, so you had like King Shark, Ratcatcher 2, Bloodsport, Peacemaker, Colonel, Rick Flags, um, Polka Dot Man. Was there anyone else? Am I missing anyone else? I feel sad. Oh, Harley Quinn, obviously. Um, but she joins obviously a little, bit, a little bit later on. But yeah, like all of all of these characters like were worked really well together as a team. Because they were all very sus of each other, of course, to begin with. But then they actually do gain this sort of camaraderie. But then obviously Peacemaker breaks it in the end. But it, it's still like the whole scene of them in the bar kind of connecting and all drinking together. Because they're like, eh, if we die, we die. But at least we had drinks, am I right? <laughs> kind of thing. So yeah, I definitely enjoyed that. And um, of course Margot Robbie serving her a really good performance of um, Harley Quinn once again. I think this is her second best interpretation of Harley Quinn. First being Birds of Prey and then this one is a very close second because I just loved her. Like we got her personality that we saw from Birds of Prey a little bit with the whole like flowers and like whimsical scene where she's murdering people. Like that felt very Birds of Prey in this film and I like, I respect the fact that James Gunn was like, we're going to incorporate some of her film into this. Highly respect that. Um, what else? I really, like, I know I'm not meant to like Peacemaker, but I just don't, I re like, I, there's a personal, like, mm, nah, mm -mm, I don't like you, to the point where I'm really confused as to why he's getting his own TV series. Like, 
for why? What, what, what do, I don't want a Peacemaker TV series, give me a King Shark TV series, like please. That's the content that I want to see. Give me like 30 episodes, 30 hour long episodes of King Shark just being King Shark. Like no plot, King Shark just being King Shark. I'd rather that than a Peacemaker series because <laughs> I'm just, I feel like if we did Peacemaker a couple of years like maybe three or four years earlier, it would have been revolutionary, but we have Homelander now from the boys. So I feel like it's very much just a rehash of that, but not in as good of a way as Homelander from the boys kind of thing. So I don't know, not liking Peacemaker, don't like the fact that he's all snaky and too justice and not, not a big fan, not a big fan. Um, Bloodsport, played by Idris Elba, hello, that was really great, I really enjoyed his personality, his whole relationship with his daughter, with the whole F.U. scene, oh, that was so good, I actually could not stop laughing, it was really, really good, um, and I think, yeah, like, Polka Dot Man being played by the dude who is in basically almost every superhero universe now that I can think of it, he's one of the, uh, Louise's friends in Ant-Man, yeah. I don't remember his name, unfortunately, but yeah, he's in that. He's the one who says about a lot of stuff about Baba Yaga <laughs> in Ant-Man 2. But he is really good as Poke uh, Polka Dot Man, very self-deprecating, which worked, and his all his weird mother thing that he's got going on. Yeah, incredibly weird, but we'll, we'll roll with it. Um, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was really good. And to top it all off, you've got such a... Such a cool villain, like Stario, like yes. What what is more James Gunn than just having a massive starfish as your villain? Like it nothing is more James Gunn than that. I'm sorry, nothing is. So that was truly a, a big treat for for um for me anyway. So overall I think the Suicide Squad is definitely worth like it was definitely a lot better than the original Suicide Squad. Um, I think purely because though James Gunn got a lot more creative freedom considering he has a lot more backing with some of his comic book films like God he has like a good portfolio of like Guardians of the Galaxy and Guardians of the Galaxy 2 so the fact that he also you know got more creative freedom on the Suicide Squad like even people were asking him oh yeah release the the gun cut of the suicide squad and he replied back on twitter like this is my cut of the film like i'm happy with this kind of thing so yeah like i think that that's pretty cool i really i really commend uh, warner bros for finally doing that um we'll see if they continue to uh keep this lesson going forward but just overall a really really fun film and breathe a lot more life into um, the DCEU in they still kept the darkness but just added a little bit of like color and light and you know not every DCEU film needs to be dark and gritty in terms of like cinematography like have a little bit of color but also still be really dark and compelling with the storyline both can happen both are not mutually exclusive like both can happen at the same time so yeah for sure I like I really, really enjoyed just the Suicide Squad. So, yeah, I guess my comparison is, of course I love the James Gunn one more, but that's because I kind of really love James Gunn's 
stuff anyway. But I don't think it's fair to compare the two, considering that we didn't get the true vision of the filmmakers um, within Suicide Squad, so I, I can't really form an opinion on that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my thoughts on both the Suicide Squad films. So we've now gotten to the point where we've spoken about all of the DCEU films, so I feel like now let's get comfortable with talking about the, the release the blank cut culture. And I think this is the perfect episode to talk about it on, considering that Zack Snyder basically started this trend. We got release the Snyder cut, release the Baron Zemo cut, release, the, release all sorts of cuts, and including the Aya cut recently as well. And it started off as like a joke of being like, oh yeah, Zack Snyder, we want to see like his version and his like complete and pure vision of the Justice League. And if you want to know my opinions on the Joss Whedon versus, versus Zack Snyder Justice League, you can also listen to an episode that I did on that. Um, it's pretty cool, actually. You should definitely go and check it out. Um, it turned into so much more. It turned into basically fans demanding Warner Bros. release it, considering all that Zack Snyder had been through to, I guess, throughout the filming process of, of uh, Justice League. So we got it, and I explained more about that, of course, in the episode that I mentioned already. Um, and now we've gotten into this culture where basically Warner Bros are being relentlessly attacked for not giving their directors creative freedom. Now, I think that Marvel also has tiptoed around this very quietly, but I also think they are also involved in this kind of culture, but, you know, it's... I I think personally I have a lot of I have a lot of issues with the people behind like the money monetary I guess uh, backing behind films I have issues with how well they think they know ever like they feel like they know everything and of course some of these people have years upon years of um industry like experience in in their field and stuff and all of a sudden they're like and they're like oh yeah to this new director who hasn't had like a superhero film before be like no we don't want you to do this we want you to do that this that we don't think this is going to work well we don't think that's going to work well um but a lot of the time if you pick a specific director right to do a film and you're like this is the script this is the director this is the writer director of photography yada 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 right if you do that and then you do like um, what's the word? Like then, then you the the company's like, yep, we'll sign off on this. We think this is great. This is how much money you got. Go, 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 have a whale of a time, right? And I get that they need to be able to see what the outcome of the film is, but at the same time, there has to be a level of trust with their director's vision, right? Because if it gets to the point where you are basically like rewriting the entirety, making the um, director that you currently have reshoot and rewrite a lot of their original work, then you need to essentially just get a new director or stop the film because then it's not true to the vision at all, to, to this, this filmmaker who wants to just present their art form, you know? And it's like, it's terribly draining and sad.
to think about. So in terms of this whole release the cut culture, I think part of it stems from wanting these directors to to actually get the I guess recognition and creative freedom that they deserve but I think part of it is just internet like wanting something to to talk about and wanting something to to feel eh about you know what I mean you know like they want something to to feel angry about and a lot of the time they can just direct it to Warner Bros because they do a lot wrong with um in terms of how they make their DC films so I think there is valid cause for the air cut to be released and I also think there was valid cause for the Snyder cut to be released however I don't think that this is something that fans should demand on a constant I think there needs to be a level of we need to respect some of these decisions of these production companies because ultimately they are trying to do it for the best that they possibly can but just because you're unhappy with the film doesn't mean that you can start demanding for a different version of this film to be released like that's not the way that this works because then we would have had a different version of For the Dark World you know so we would have had, had Patty Jenkins directing For the Dark World what about that? Um, true story actually um, but yeah, it's just, it's one of those things where, given circumstances, I can understand it, specifically the two that I've mentioned, but anything else at the moment, I don't care. Like, it's it's very much just overprivileged fans being like, yeah, I demand this, because, like, they have a massive say into what goes on behind the scenes of um production companies and also it only makes sense to release the cut of that specific director if that director has expressed that they are unhappy with the cut that was initially done and they had a different vision for it because if you ultimately imagine oh my god imagine imagine you this director has released like what they believe the best cut of this film to be and like they're so happy and proud of it and the production company is like we're gonna give it a go we we have your backing and then they release it and then they're like oh my god no Warner Bros suppressed them oh no release the blank cut like this is not let the director's actual vision be through and it's actually the director's vision like I can imagine that being so heartbreaking for for whoever whoever does that it's just ugh. it's a it's a it's it's almost like cancel culture so it's a very fine line of what the defi definition of this release culture is because I feel like cancel culture in itself is a weird thing and I think the alt the the I guess the outcome that they or the initial outcome of what cancel culture was meant to be was kind of like we need to hold these people accountable for what they've done wrong completely agree with that the means don't necessarily um, I guess justify the the goal uh, or is it the other way around you get what I'm trying to say but yes yeah, like I I want these directors to release their true vision if they you know if they felt like they've been wronged but I also understand that you know not every film 
has to have a release the blank cut kind of thing. So that's my hot take on that. So what what is next for the DCEU? I'm glad you ask. We've got the Batman with uh, Rob Robat Bat and Bat as I like to call him. Uh, so Robert Pattinson, he's going to be in the Batman. Um, what else we got? Black Adam with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. We've got Shazam 2, Fury of the Gods coming soon. I think that is in production at the moment. We have Aquaman 2. Um, what else do we have? Do we have any... There is a Flash movie coming out. Uh, yep, that's also a thing that's happening. Black Canary, as I mentioned before, which is the most recent thing to be announced. And yeah, overall just, just a lot of good things. Aquaman, I don't know whether I already said that, but yeah. Like a lot of things. Nothing yet on a on a um, Wonder Woman front, whether there's going to be a third one. But considering the second one came out literally straight to VOD, then I'm not sure. However, Henry Cavill has actually been recast now. So they're not, they're not sticking with Henry Cavill as Superman, which is a big mistake. Like, massive mistake. Um, and someone else is going to be Superman now, which is interesting. Uh, I don't know how anyone can live up to the the expectations of Mr. Mr. Henry Cavill, so we'll see. Um, not, not completely sold on that idea yet, but, I mean, we give it a go, right? As, as with all things. And I guess that leads me perfectly to be like, DCEU films are kind of... The, the genre of, I, I call it a genre because it really is, are a genre of film you really need to try and understand whether you like it or not. It's not for everyone, they're a very Marmite film, so yeah. Uh, set of films, I guess, or genre is probably the better word. But yeah, uh, I guess that wraps up the DCEU episode and uh, we'll move on to the infamous segment of the show, the recommend or to the back end segment. Nandita has a theme and she has a recommend and to the back end? What is this madness? So, <laughs> so, um, my theme is Ryan Reynolds and Take a Titi T-Bots. There's only been two, so you, you can probably guess which, which two I'm talking about. So I'll start off with my recommend and my recommend is Free Guy. So if you don't know what Free Guy is, it is a video game film about the NPCs, like what is going on with NPCs in a video game and what if you, you know, started actually caring about them and they started becoming more of the forefront of the game, you know what I mean? So, that's, I don't want to say more because I don't want to spoil it and I think it's really good to kind of just dive into without knowing much, though I feel like that with all films, but it's got Take Waititi as like the video game um, tech overlord kind of figure and then you've, which is a great role for him, mind you. And you've got, what's the other one? Uh, Ryan Reynolds as the the main NPC called Guy. And I think it's just such a, it's just such a good film. It's such a, it pays off very well for video game nerds, for computer science nerds, for 
people who just like a lot of pop culture references like it's it's a it's a pretty good film and it's not like overboard on um like references on pop culture references it's like a, a valid amount i'm not saying this film is great like from a from like an actual critical standpoint it's probably not the best film but it was so enjoyable to me and i feel like i was the target audience for this film it was just incredibly hilarious all the right things all the right little you know cameos and like you know oh, I, don't, I just i don't know how else to be like go watch this film it's great but I, I went to go see it twice so if that if that says anything for you then i don't i don't i don't know what else will so yeah definitely go check out free guy it is a recommend out in cinemas currently so my to the back end is probably you guessed it green lantern now i didn't okay so i put this down as like not a complete sad face on my recommend to the back end but like kind of like a a straight like i'm neither here nor there on on the green lantern because i don't think i actually remember having seen this film like i think i my parents and i went to go watch this when i was super young and we walked out of the film like before the like first 10 minutes like within the first 10 minutes of the film we walked out because everyone else was so yeah um then uh i just i i don't have any recollection or memory of it so then i decided hey why don't i watch green lantern and then i did and i don't know how to feel about it it's about what is it about it's about a dude who was a pilot who gets the power of the Green Lantern for some reason and he's still trying to figure out like why the the, the Green Lantern power chose him uh, but it did so he has to kind of figure that out and deal with that and yeah it's just it's a, a, a mixture of things a mess a real collation of things and um I think I think I, I enjoyed a lot of it because it was just Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively and this was like their first film together and then obviously they have like the most epic romance now of all time uh, best celebrity couple and then like also the fact that Take Waititi is playing an American in this like so many things are so bizarre about this film yet it intrigues me and makes me go oh hello this is pretty good but also it's just not good and this is like it confuses my brain okay I don't know how to feel about Green Lantern <laughs> But if you want to go check it out, I mean, sure, why not if you want to, um, and yeah, just treat it with caution, is all I will say. Uh, take it with a pinch of salt, just go in for a laugh, and you'll come out probably feeling better. So I guess that concludes the recommend to the back end uh, segment of the episode, so I guess Thank you for listening. It's been a while since I've been back and it's it's actually very good to be back. I have missed talking to myself about <laughs> about films. But let me know what you guys think of the DCEU films. I'd love to know other people's opinions. It helps me think about my opinions in a different way. And uh, let me know if you guys have seen Green Lantern or Free Guy. So if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, overcast or any podcast listening platform do give the podcast a follow subscribe there so that you can keep up to date with when episodes come out they can get a little notification and whilst you're on apple podcasts if you're there why don't you give the podcast a five star rating and review uh it would really help more people find the podcast <laughs> 
And um, if you want to keep up to date with, um, I guess, when episodes are going to be coming out, what episodes are going to be coming out, teasers kind of thing, you can follow my Instagram and Twitter accounts at DeetsWithDita for both. Um, and also, if you want to know what films I'm watching on a day-to-day -day basis that I maybe don't mention on the podcast, you can follow my letterboxed account, underscore Nendita underscore, on there. With that being said, next week's episode is the 50th episode! Woo! Amazing, incredible, show-stopping, fantabulous. <laughs> um, and I think it's going to be a very different style of episode. Um... So definitely look forward to that. I'm not going to give away too much about it, but uh, yeah, it's going to be good. Whether it comes out either next week or the week after, uh, but it will come out within the next two weeks because I am I'm in the process of moving. So yeah, uh, thank you all for listening and I will see you all next week. Bye everyone! Bye.